Welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator, hosted by Michael Sonberg, founder and CEO of Rebel Culture and Skyrocket Education. Each week, we'll talk to a different, inspiring person in the world of leadership, personal development, career, family, fitness, and beyond. Buckle up for the Inspiration Accelerator. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Inspiration Accelerator. I'm Michael Sonbert, and I've really I've made it my uh, personal mission to stop saying that every guest that comes on is incredible. I'm overusing that term, but I actually can't start with this episode because our guest is uh, amazing. Uh, he's a trailblazer. He's a philanthropist. He's an author. And I'm going to give a much more detailed bio in a moment. Uh, on our guest today, uh, Mr. Wynn Claybaugh, who will be out in a moment. But before we get there, uh, there are two two thoughts that I had that I'd like to share with you all. One is I was watching uh, a clip of a sleep expert the other day. And he said that if you, if you round the amount of people in the whole world who are able to be highly effective on six hours of sleep, or less, if you round that number to a whole number, the number is actually zero. Because such a small fraction of the population is able to be highly effective, highly successful at their absolute A game on six hours or less of sleep, which I am somebody for whom six hours, I've always said is my sweet spot. According to the to the sleep expert, and I apologize, his name escapes me, but he's basically telling me, if you think you're one of these people, you're not. So the big message is get more sleep, which is something I'm committed to for 2023, which is not something I'm necessarily great at. But if you're one of those people like me, uh, and I preach waking up early, but uh, this also means we have to go to bed early if we want to get our seven hours plus. So that's our little, that's a little nugget of, of wisdom right there. But one other thing I want to share that's been really, you know, this show's about inspiration. And I've had guests on this show who've inspired me. I mean, they all have. But one of our early guests, um, a, a, a woman named Whitney McDuff, who's a publicist out of Charleston, uh, South Carolina, and so much more. She says she reads, she told us uh, that she reads 50 books a year. And that blew my mind because I read 12, one a month. And so I said, all right, for this year, I'm going to double my, double my goal. I'm going to make it 24. And we are not even, mo- well, we're most of the way through January as of this recording, but I've completed, uh, completed reading four books at this point, which has me on pace for, for her 50. So one of my favorite terms is this idea of under-indexing and how for a lot of us, we think that our ceiling is lower than it actually is. And I think if there's somebody who listens to this show looking to get inspired and looking to say, hey, where am I not pushing myself hard enough? Take this as a lesson because, man, I was real content with my 12. And then I heard that somebody who I respect and admire was doing 50. And I said, I can absolutely change this. So uh, with that, and speaking of books, the the gentleman I'm about to bring out in a moment, his book, uh, Be Nice or Else, is one of the one of the four books that I've read this year. His name is Wynn Claybaugh. He's an author, as I mentioned. He's the host of the Masters podcast. They've had over 1 million 
downloads. Uh, he's was considered or called one of the best motiv- uh, motivational speakers in the country, according to Larry King. Larry also wrote the foreword for Wins, a book, which I, I highly recommend. You folks have to check it out. Uh, he's the co-founder and dean of Paul Mitchell Schools, which is, he's been doing that for 38 years, got 16 thousand people in his organization. And um, he's been American Salon named Win as one of the five industry leaders who helped revolutionize education. And while we're going to talk about education with Win when he comes out, we're also going to talk about fundraising and philanthropy. He was given the Ellis Island Medal of Honor Award. This recognizes people who've used their influence and power to make a difference for folks who are who are less fortunate. And he's also, uh, as the person who's run lead on Paul Mitchell's annual fundraising campaign, not fundraising, although they do raise funds, uh, the annual fundraising campaign, he's, they've raised more than $22 million for charitable organizations. So uh, this is a real honor and a privilege Win Clayball, welcome to the Inspiration Accelerator. Thanks for being here. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks, Michael. And you know I've been looking forward to this for a, a very long time, simply because uh, I think that the best podcast interviews that I've listened to were uh, unscripted and unrehearsed. And since you and I have lots of those types of conversations when nobody else is listening in... <laughs> Now that there's a microphone playing, I think that this is going to be pretty good because uh, you and I are at ease with each other already. I couldn't agree more, Win. And you know, really, I want to I want to start here because, and folks, folks won't won't know this unless they um, unless they heard uh, me on you on your podcast on Masters. But you know, you reached out to me somehow. You want, found your way on the or somebody put you on our mailing list for Rebel Culture. And you reached out to me and invited me, you're compliment, complimentary about the content and invited me on your show. And that was actually the kind of the beginning of, of our relationship where, and, you know, I don't use this term lightly. I have about three or four people in the world who I put in this bucket, but you, you've been a mentor to me since we've met over the last, you know, four or five months at this point. And I know and so, by the way, thank you, because it's been amazing to, to learn from you. But you are I know you're that for a lot of people, and you're somebody that people look to for support, for guidance, or somebody who just wants to make a difference for others. Where does that, where does that come from? And what, I mean, what, what drives you on a daily basis to be so, I mean, I, I could text you whenever, and you'll respond in 10 minutes with, a great piece of coaching or a connection or just a, a thought or a kind word. Where does that where does that come from? Well, first of all, to to comment on our relationship, it's it's this incredible exchange. So it's not just one-sided. And I don't mean that in a bad way, because there are uh relationships that we have to mentor people, but it's one or two exchanges. You know, they reach out and we respond and we answer and we support. Uh, and then that's the end of it. And that's okay. That's, that, yeah. that's great. But how I feel about you is that we have this even exchange. And so I, I am honored that you would say that I'm a, a mentor and that I, that I coach you, but it, it goes both ways because you've been down a path that's very interesting and very intriguing to me. 
mm-hmm. and, and beneficial to me personally, as well as to my company. And, and so, of course, I want to tap into that. So I appreciate that. Um, but to, to answer the question, uh, I've, I've always loved being a connector. I, I like connecting people. I, if somebody says, oh, I'm going on vacation to Maui, I'm like, oh, I got three incredible restaurants you should check out while you're there. Yeah. I, I just I, I just enjoy doing that, that I've always kind of been that way. Uh, but then the other side of this is that I, I truly, truly believe in what goes around comes around. I believe mm. in the law of attraction. I believe in karma, that what you put out there. And, and let me tell you something. I'm I'm kind of a, a, a desperate person that I I have to work very, very hard at, at happiness and self-esteem. Yeah. And so I know that what I put out there is absolutely going to serve me well. Well, wow, it's really great. And I, I, I am working to do better at uh, that law of attraction thing. I think I'm okay at it. But when somebody says they're going to Maui, my first thought, I'm getting better. I'm not there yet. My first thought is not necessarily who I know there and who I can connect you with. Um, it might be about an experience I've had there or kind of like a, a shared anecdote. But that's really great coaching, not just for me, but for everybody listening. This uh, you know, this connectedness. And I, and I know that this is, I know that this is going to embarrass you when I don't mean, mean it to, but folks, if you get Wynn's book, which like I said, you should, I mean, if you look at some of the testimonials and some of the people in Wynn's book who uh, just have really great things to say about him and his writing, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Lisa Gibbons from, you know, uh, you know, TV, radio, uh, Vidal Sassoon, Fran Drescher, uh, the late Betty White, Marianne Williamson from, you know, of course, uh, Course in Miracles. I mean, we have, uh, you know, Gary Sinise, the actor, M- Marie Osmond. And I know that, and then the list goes on and on and on. And I know that none of what you do is about, you know, everybody I just mentioned is, uh, you know, they're, they're all famous. I know that you're not motivated by by those things, but the the ability you have to in any circle just make a difference for people. I mean, I was at an event where there were some really famous people there, and you nobody like you were the most famous in the sense that you were the connector for every single person in the room, and everybody was talking about you and commenting about you. And so, like you say, you love being a connector, but where does that where does that come from? What why is it? Is it the, the way it makes you feel? Is it doing right for people? Is it helping people? Because it's certainly working. Well, it's interesting that you you talk about that woman who has challenged you to read a, a book every single week. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big reader. I, I wrote a book, but I don't read. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> I, I, ne- I never went to college, not one day of college. I barely, and I mean barely, graduated from high school. Apparently, they want you to show up. <laughs> I was busy. I, I told them. So I've, to I've known for a very long time that I'm not the smartest person in my company. I'm not the prettiest. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the most creative person. And, and for a couple of years in business, that really did hold me back. I thought, gosh, if I'm going to be successful, if I if I meant to to make money and be a success and whatever I choose, I have to be the smartest person. And then, you know, you get deflated immediately with that. You walk in and there's somebody who's smarter. There, there's somebody who is prettier than you are. And we sometimes then diminish our own potential, our, our own brilliance because of that intimidation. We're comparing ourselves 
to, to somebody else. And that used to be me for a very short period of time. And I'm not sure who it was or what changed in my life that got me off of that journey and got me onto a journey that I don't have to be the smartest. What I need to do is surround myself with incredible, wonderful people and then make sure that relationships are my top priority. Being smart is not my top priority. Being the prettiest is not my top priority. Being able to attract and, and sustain and cultivate and honor wonderful people and relationships, both personally and professionally in my life is what has served me very well. So when you mention uh, celebrities, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored and privileged that I've had the opportunity and gosh, it sounds like I'm name dropping. And I guess that I am to, to work with people like Betty White and Marie Osmond and Gary Sinise and Lisa Gibbons, these people that I, I truly love and respect, but I, I need to add on to that is I have never once used those relationships for anything other than to serve them. And, and yeah. here's what I mean is all those people, those celebrities that I've mentioned, they are all connected to some type of a charitable organization, some type of, of a charitable cause. And many of them, it's their own charity. So it's the Gary Sinise Foundation. Marie Osmond founded, co-founded Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, which serves 10 million children a year. Mm. Fran Drescher has her own cancer schmancer. So there's all of these celebrities have their own charities. And so my job or my role in my relationship with them is to help them raise money and awareness for their cause. So so uh, I was I was with Dolly Parton at an event. It was a charitable event, and we were raising money for her imagination library. And I love her and what she does in providing books to underprivileged children all over the world. And so there she was, and I'm hanging out with Dolly Parton and getting pictures taken with her and sitting with her at this incredible dinner. Well, then get this, the very next week, I'm at Dolly Parton's concert at the Hollywood Bowl and I'm in the very back row and she's like, like teeny tiny. I can barely see her. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, last week I'm hanging out with her and now I have the worst seat at Hollywood Bowl. My point is while I was with her, it's not like, hey, Dolly, I'm seeing your concert next week. Can you get me really good seats? I, right, I don't do right. that. Yeah. That's not the point of the relationship because sometimes, sometimes we, Gosh, we diminish the value of the relationship. We we limit what that relationship really could be by serving needs that 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 don't serve both sides of the relationship. If that makes sense, yeah, it makes perfect sense. It's it's really refreshing to hear that from you. It's something that I um, I am not, uh, and I am not as intentional as you are about cultivating the relationships in the way that you do but what i whenever i am in the space of somebody who is at that level uh i never ever want them to think that my goal is to get something from them so i actually default to very far the the other way i had a chance to meet sarah blakely a few months ago who's the founder of spanx uh, and I'm sure there were people, and there was a bunch of us who met her. It wasn't just me, but I'm sure there were people who were thinking, what can she do for me? She's so successful. She's so wealthy. I almost default to the opposite there of like, I, I don't say much and I should probably do more of what 
you do, which is like, hey, what can I do for you? And can I be of value? And like I said, I'm learning those things, but I, I would never want that would that would that would feel so icky to me for somebody to think that I am trying to leverage who they are uh, for myself in kind of like a selfish way. And the way you do that just feels like the absolute perfect, perfect mix, truly. Well, Stephen Covey talks about seek first to understand and to be understood. And a person's favorite topic is themselves. And so when you're talking to a celebrity, one of their favorite topics probably is about their charity. Their charity has their name on it. And, and so for us to take an interest, a genuine interest in that, uh, a pure interest in, in what they're all about, if, if it's especially aligned with something that we're passionate about, maybe we're passionate about the fight against trafficking and slavery. Mm-hmm. And so you better believe when we meet celebrities and we know that they're connected and aligned with that as well, and we make that our priority as well, genuinely, you better believe there's going to be a, a wonderful exchange. But seek first to understand. I want to understand what's important to this person, not just a celebrity, but but anybody. What's important to them? And when you understand that, other things just fall into place. Brilliant. I love it. It's just great. It's great coaching, and I love that that uh, kind of that comma there. Not just celebrities, but anybody. Right. Seek first to understand the person, even just what they're dealing with. Right. They might have something going on that that we can't comprehend. And uh, it's really, really powerful coaching. Now, now there's an irony here when, if I could pivot for a second, because American Salon named you as one of the five, quote, industry leaders who helped revolutionize education, end quote, but by your own admission, not much of a scholar growing up. And so how did this happen? How did you come to found and be one of the co-owners and dean of Paul uh, and deans of Paul Mitchell schools. How'd you, how'd that happen? Sometimes being naive and, <laughs> and, and if I can say uneducated and <laughs> can be uh, uh, something that serves us really, really good. So because I didn't know uh, what it was supposed to look like in the world of education and being a scholar, that the word that you just used, I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't because I didn't experience any of that stuff myself. Mm. What I did know was how I personally learned. How I learn is through having fun. How I learn is by being able to make mistakes. And so we within my company, and we're an education company as well, we created what we call our guiding principles for learning. And and one of the guiding principles is uh, we don't make mistakes, we make discoveries. And if you apply that to the beauty industry, now, again, I'm teaching cosmetology students. And I I remember once seeing it happen that I was I was watching uh, uh, one of my students do uh, a wax on the on their eyebrows, on on a guest's eyebrows. And so all of a sudden she pulled the wax strip off and the entire eyebrow was gone, gone. Oh, my goodness. And the learning leader, the instructor who watched this entire thing happen, turned to the student and said, wow, what a great discovery you just made. Now, I'm sure that I'm sure the client who lost her eyebrow was pretty upset over it and will probably never come back to us. But you know what? That student will never, never make that mistake again. So by right. by by that instructor not shaming them, my gosh, this was a mistake. You are horrible. You're never going to be good at this. 
it wasn't a shaming experience. It was a learning experience. You just made an incredible discovery. And there was a celebration around that. And so, I mean, and that's just one of the guiding principles. Other guiding principles about learning, again, that ha- it has to be fun. That learning is, a, is an, an experience of drawing information, drawing brilliance out of people rather than just dumping information into them. And mm. so when we applied some of those principles to the world of education and cosmetology and barbering and, and skin, it just worked. And if that's what they call revolutionary, then I'll take it. Do you, because I know you're proud, I know you're a proud dad. Do you take some of these same philosophies and um, infuse them into your parenting style? Like, would your daughter say, uh, you know, I'm making discoveries when I make, you know, like, like what's her language around that? Does she have uh, mistakes or is it, would it be discoveries or like, talk about, like, talk about some of this stuff. Is it, and whether it's parenting or even just into your own personal life, have you, infuse some of this into just how you go about your business on a daily basis. Dang, you ask good questions. Appreciate you know, with, it. with, with my daughter, um, gosh, you bring her up and I get emotional with my daughter. She's 10 years old. She's in fifth grade. And I, and I will say that she's in a school that, that really does focus on the grade. Mm-hmm. And, but at home, I think we're teaching her something different. What we're focused on is do your best apply yourself, make a commitment and follow through. And then if the grade is what the school would be considered horrible, we don't care. As your dads, we don't, we don't care about that. We're okay with that. Um, so yeah, I think it, maybe our daughter is hopefully she's going to be either really well adjusted or really screwed up by this whole process of hearing one thing at school and another thing at home. Maybe, I don't, I don't know, but, but yeah, we focus Sorry, she might just have a she just might just have a more holistic view of what success looks like, and I think that that's I mean it, it you know as an educator myself it it it's like nails on the chalkboard when one of my kids' teachers is talking about the grades, the grades, the grades versus the progress they're making or how hard they're working. But like like yourself, you know, I am constantly messaging the process and how you know I mean today's a today's a Monday. I sat with my kids. I'm, I'm, I'm not always home. I travel a lot, which I know you know, but I sat with my kids this morning at the breakfast table and talked to them about how Monday morning is the best time of the week. You have the most amount of time to learn, the most amount of time to be kind, the most amount of time to add value to people, the most amount of opportunity is on a Monday morning. Now, I am sure that there are lots of other parents who are saying Monday morning stinks and don't talk to me until I had my my coffee or whatever it is. And that's fine. I'm not judging them, but I feel like these messages that we're sending to our kids, they, they will, they will, they will resonate. Right. I mean, your, your daughter will probably have both perspectives and that's, I think that's a good thing. It, it has to resonate because yeah, I get a little bit jealous and maybe even uh, somewhat upset that somebody gets to spend more time with my daughter during the week than I do. Yeah. So we we take her to school and she's there and and she comes home and we now what have another couple of hours with her before which is homework and dinner and 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 bath and in bed at seven thirty because oh by the way I like what you were talking about earlier she needs her ten plus hours of sleep every single <laughs> night and we're real real strict about that yeah. and so that means it's less time for us so so somebody else is is, is 
coaching her and training her and and in her ear about what's important, what's valuable. Uh, and if we're not balancing that out by by saying, sweetheart, uh, you know, today's going to be an incredible day. And I, I could I could talk through an entire routine that I have every single morning about getting up early, getting myself ready so that I'm in the right mindset. So by the time I get her out of bed, the first thing that she hears from me is, this is going to be an awesome, incredible day, sweetheart. We're going to have so much fun. School's going to be incredible. And she hears that from me and experiences that from me every single day without fail because Mm. I need that time with her. I love it. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, When a quick pivot here, what your book, be nice or else in parentheses, and then what's in it for, and what's in it for you? What was the impetus for writing this book. I mean, it seems like a simple idea for folks listening. I trust you. It's not, the book is, I mean, incredibly interesting. If you, you know, if you think, all right, I'm supposed to be nice. Cool. I get it. I don't need to read the book. I strongly uh, advise that you do because the ideas in here are just, every one of them is just a really, really powerful and smart nugget. And, uh, and it's applicable too, which is what I love. What was the impetus for writing the book and what's the response been from people? Well, first of all, I, I, I wrote the book uh, for people who don't read, if yeah. that makes sense. Cause again, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't read a lot. And, and, and I can think back at the books that I did read and that I was excited about were books that I could just grab the book and turn to any page on in the middle of the book and read a couple of paragraphs. And those couple of paragraphs were valuable for me. It was meant mm. to be that I turned to that page and that's exactly what I just seemed to need in that moment. And that's how I wrote this book. So uh, again, if you said when you have to read this book from, from the beginning to the end uh, and you have a week to do it, I don't think it would ever happen. And so <laughs> I wrote the book so that it's easy for people uh, to, to, to read it that way. Now I, 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 I wasn't intending to write a book. What I was writing was, first of all, a journal. I started writing the book when I had just barely become clean off of drugs. So it was kind of a a journaling experience for me to figure out, okay, this is who I've been in the past 10 years. I was a drug addict. And so now who am I? What do I stand for? What do I believe? And so it was a process of me reestablishing me myself as a human being by writing it down and journaling. And then that kind of transitioned into um, kind of a, a cultural manual for my, for my company. Mm. Cause I, I believe that to run a successful business, there are three basic human needs, which we could expand on, but really quickly they are that people need to feel safe. People mm. need to feel that they belong and people need to feel that they have a purpose. And so I was writing about those three basic human needs and how that applies to our company. And at the time I was writing it, I only had about maybe two or three locations. And now we have 110 locations. And mm. so it was important for me to write it down because it was getting to the point where I couldn't be in every location. So I, I couldn't I couldn't be in that building when when something went wrong and I was there to to coach the team and help them overcome it and be part of the solution. I'm not physically in that building. Well, well, then what's happening? If I'm not there to watch it and to help the process, what's happening? So it was important that I write it down. And then this process of writing it down and journaling because of my my new experience of being clean off of drugs, I started sharing different 
paragraphs or stories and, and chapters from my so-called journaling with certain individuals. Hey, what do you think of this? And, and that small, small group of people started to encourage me to turn it into a book. And, and then uh, Larry King approached me, you need to write this and I'd like to write the foreword for it. So it was just, it just a whole bunch of people came together and said, this has to be a book. I love that idea of, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing and probably simplifying, but like, I kind of wrote this for me to really, uh, I mean, and I had a very similar experience when I stopped using drugs of like, and you're not saying this, but here's what I'm like, who am I? Like, what do I stand for? What do I care about? What, what kind of person do I want to be in the, in the world? How do I want to show up for people? Uh, I almost wonder if, for me personally, if I if I would have gone through the process that you went through, if it would have if it would have happened sooner for me, not not uh, stopping using drugs, but like becoming a better human being. I, I think I'm an okay human being now. I don't know if I was necessarily when I first uh, quit trying to destroy myself, but you know this idea that like, hey, I wrote this book for me. It's like how, you know, what I care about, it's a journal, it's, and it feels like that at points when you're reading it, but then like, oh, this is actually going to become, you know, our culture manual across our organization that's gone from, you know, relatively small to huge. We've got to have some guiding principles. You know, we have a lot of people listening to this show who are looking to build culture. Sometimes it's across one actual physical building and it's a challenge. So, how do you all balance that across, you know, north of a hundred different locations? Uh, I mean, is there quality control? Are you ever at points, do you ever show up somewhere and you're like, this doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like? Or is it, hey, no, we do a really phenomenal job at this and the culture's strong everywhere. It's something that we work on every single day in every yeah. single location. You never graduate from this stuff. Agreed. If we applied this to your personal life. It's like waking up one day and say, you know what? I have plenty of happiness. No more. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's never going to happen, nor will it ever happen that any kind of a, a business or a store or a, or a company can wake up and say, our culture is perfect. We don't need to focus on this anymore. That's never, ever going to happen. It has to be something that's constant and consistent. Uh, a lot of leaders say that that culture eats systems and marketing for lunch, meaning nothing, nothing is more important to the success of a company than focusing on the culture. And my definition of culture is two people come together, there's a culture, and we have to decide what that culture looks mm. like what it feels like, or it will be decided for you. Meaning there's going to be a culture. We have to decide what it looks like and feels like, or it's just going to happen by default. And That's by right. default, what can happen in most companies, and you feel this, you walk into a store and you're like, gosh, it just doesn't feel good here. Mm. You don't know the behind the scenes. You don't know, but that the boss is a jerk and, and abuses the team. You don't know that the team never communicate with each other and there's pettiness mm. going on and there's gossip going on. We don't know any of that, but you walk in and you can feel it. You can you feel, feel the tension. That's a culture. And, and, and by the way, the opposite can happen as well. When you walk in and it's like, I don't know. I don't know who the boss is. I don't know who founded this place. I don't know if they recycle. I don't know if they bonus their people and are really good to their people. And I don't know any of that stuff, but it feels really good here. 
And that's what we're talking about. And, and, and that's something that we work so, so hard at every single day. And by the way, part of having that strong culture is that all of this has to be written down. You can't just assume that people are going to be kind to each other unless the process is written down. It has to be written down that part of our culture, what we stand for, what we believe in is kindness, that we're nice to each other, that we resolve our challenges with love, not always through a PR, I'm sorry, not always through an HR department, uh, yeah. that, that if we have challenges, guess what? We can resolve them with love. Oh my gosh, what a radical concept. How radical. Resolve <laughs> with love. Well, and to your point, when, and uh, I mean, the people, I mean, I do this with, with my family. I imagine you do as well. Like, what's the culture of our family? What's the culture of our house? How do we solve things? I mean, I can... If, if my daughter's not here, she's at school, but if she was here, I could say to her, Penny, for every challenge there is a, and she'll come right up and say, a solution, dad. And she's five, right? Because that's what we are right. teaching our kids, right? And we don't. Oh, the best. Yeah, right? And it's just like, there's an actual culture that can be built and should be built around, sure, work and business, but around our families. And I had a call with somebody recently who was just coming to me for some parenting advice and uh, which was flattering. I don't know if I'm the right, the best person, but I took it as a, I took it as a compliment, but you know, the, one of the things that the person took away from our call is that like my wife and I parent, we have a, we have a meeting every weekend. How do we do this week? What did we miss? Where were we, where did we lose our patience? Where did we not lean on the other person enough? Where were the places where um, we need to be better going forward? And if it, even if it's not every week, sometimes it's just even in passing. But that's culture, man, right? That's culture that you're talking about. And, and, and there has to be the behavior that backs up what you value. Yeah. So you, you said that, yeah, we have the belief system. And people say, yeah, I value that. I value that our, our relationships are strong within our family. But then we don't have the behavior to match what we say is important to us. Mm -hmm. As an example, we value relationships, but everybody's sitting at, at the dinner table on their phones is okay. No, no, that's right. not okay. And so, okay, right. what, what do we stand for as a family? And if the family rules or the family the family values are that we value each other and we want to be connected with each other and talk about our days and have, have that physical and, and, and emotional connection with each other. Well, then I guess that means that we can't sit on our phones during the dinner time. Right. And, and that, that applies to business as well. So, um, you know, we say that we value one thing, but then our behavior proves otherwise. Yeah. I, I and I see that all the time. When I'd love to just uh, close out with what I know is incredibly important to you, and, and something that uh, you are just a, a just a giant in the space around, which is around philanthropy and, and charity. Uh, you know, I mentioned in your intro that you won the Ellis Island Medal of Honor for giving back. Uh, Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell Schools has raised over, you know, 20 plus million dollars for different for different causes. Where does this come from? How much does this matter to you? And, you know, how can people get involved if they if they'd like to? Oh, wow. That's that's a great way to wrap this up, because it is 
valuable to me. And and lots of companies, you, you you work really hard, whether it's in your own career to climb that ladder and make more money. And by the way, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Or you start your own company. And so you're trying to rally everybody together and you put your head down and just work, 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 work for 10 years. And after 10 years, you raise your head and realize, wow, I'm paying my bills on time. I'm making good money. I drive a better car, live in a better house, but I've done nothing. I've done nothing to give back. And fortunately, I was raised properly that. So when I had nothing, I had a mattress on my floor in my apartment. But even back then, we were doing fundraising events. We were using the influence that we had in our community as a tiny three-chair beauty salon to raise money for causes that were important to us. And so I, I know I got that from my family. I got that from my parents. But when we implemented that immediately within to our within our company, within our careers, uh, it, it, it served us well. Um, now, again, sometimes companies say or individuals say, well, when I am financially at that level, mm. then I will give back. And I'm here to tell you that if you're stingy now, uh, making $20,000 a year, you're not going to be incredibly generous all of a sudden once you're making a million dollars. So if you're only making a small amount of money, can you can you make a $5 donation today? And unless I feel, unless we're willing to make that $5 donation today, we're not going to be making the million dollar donations when we financially have the means to do so. And so, um, I, and, and I can share with you all kinds of statistics and studies about how giving money and, and contributing uh, from your, your resources in your career and your company will benefit you in terms mm. of customer loyalty and, and, and staff loyalty. And boy, staff loyalty is a huge, big, big conversation right now. There's, there's a talk of that mass exodus and every company is, is understaffed. So, mm. so I get that. And so even if for, for selfish reasons, i.e., I need to improve the bottom line of my company, therefore I'm going to give back. Well, that's a start. So start with that, but but find the, the charities and the causes that your your team is is passionate about. All of us are are consumers. We consume water, we consume air, we consume trees. We need to be contributors. So just get your team together, get the people that you don't have to be the boss to do this. Get the a couple of people that you work with and say, hey, uh, there's a, a cancer walk coming up in three weeks. You guys want to do that together? Or yeah. you know, hey, I noticed that soup kitchen down the street. What if we all did something and and pulled together our resources to raise money. You think that we could all raise money, uh, maybe a thousand dollars within the next three weeks to, mm. to to donate our time. Oh, and then by the way, not only are we donating money, but we're donating our resources because everybody thinks that to make a difference, it, it has to be financial. And I'll tell you something: I'm really good at raising money. I I have no problem, <laughs> and you've seen me in action. I have. I yeah. will ask anybody for money, yeah. but. The flip side to that is I have gone to children's hospitals thinking, oh, I'm going to be there and create magic for these kids. And you know what? I'm a blubbering idiot in the corner. Yeah. Like I fall apart. I'm not I'm not effective. And and yet some people, they can walk into a hospice or into into a homeless shelter or into any kind of environment like that. And they just blossom. They shine in their magic and they're oh, they just do such good things. But then they don't raise any money. And that's beautiful. That is absolutely perfect. Yeah. Find what you're good at. Some of us raise money. Some of us raise awareness. Some of us use our social media and some of us show up. 
and physically showing up and getting your hands dirty. My gosh, there's so much value in that. And everybody can do that. Brilliant. And it, it and when it, it starts, it starts young. I mean, you mentioned this being like, you know, part of your DNA from a young age. Uh, you know, this is, this is something that for folks out there, we have a lot of educators who listen. These are things that teachers could be doing with, with students, with children. These are things that parents could be doing with, with their own kids. I mean, one of our kind of Sonbert family rules is that nobody brings presents for our kids on their birthdays because we don't want our children opening 30 different presents. We give them presents as their parents. And then what we ask people to do is to bring canned goods. And then with the children, we go to a soup kitchen or kind of a food donation place and we have them bring it up or bring it in or whatever it is. And kind of embedding that behavior in them from a young age. There's a funny family story here. of My son, Max, looking through a bag of gifts, gifts and saying to me uh, almost you know, disappointedly, uh, it's mostly just beans uh, in here because, you know, he'd open a handful of gifts, people who kind of didn't follow our rules. But most of the people had brought canned goods, as we asked. And we've done things. You know, my wife's dad is a, is a Vietnam vet. And we've done things where we've had folks donate, you know, toothbrushes and, you know, uh, deodorant and, and, you know, toothpaste and floss and, you know, combs and, you know, hair product for for soldiers overseas. And so I say that not for, for a pat on the back, but for, for folks listening, right? The same way, you know, Whitney McDuff said, I read 50 books a year. I said 12. Oh man, let me change my, let me change my, my, my ceiling here. If you're somebody listening who's like, I can't raise $22 million, you don't have to, right? Turn your, your kid's next birthday party into part, part, partly a donation uh, for, for folks who are less fortunate or raise some money for a cancer charity. And it's totally, totally doable. Right. When. You know what your child in 30 years from now is going to be running a multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> and that company is going to have a standard of uh, we give back. And your child's going to say, when I was young, my parents raised me to believe that our birthday parties were not about gifts for us. Our birthday parties were, were a celebration and an opportunity for us to use our resources to, to give back. And, and that's where they're going to learn that from. So it's a beautiful thing that we do as parents. Well, I couldn't agree more uh, about the, 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 the second part. And if the first part's even partially true, uh, I, will, I will take it when. Uh, when, where can folks find you on social media? And if folks want to be a part of any of the things you have going on, can you share some of your handles? You know, I probably should know that, right? <laughs> like, well, I, I mean, I know you say I that, and I'm just now pulling out my cell. Like, what is my okay? So, uh, I, I think I'm just Win Claybaugh everywhere. Win Win Claybaugh on Instagram, on on Twitter, on on Facebook. My website is winclaybaugh.com. So uh, that's where they can find my podcast, which I've been doing for 22 years, long before there was even the term podcast. Uh, I was sitting down interviewing incredible people such as yourself and, and people like Vidal Sassoon and the president of Southwest Airlines and a Catholic nun who became a hairdresser to give back to the homeless. And so I've been interviewing all kinds of people. Um, but back then, there was no podcast term. I was I was recording these interviews, these 
these podcasts on and putting them on cassette tapes and mailing them out to subscribers that I had in, in over 10 countries. So that's how I started off. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair. You, you might have the very first podcast ever, which is, uh, and not that it's a competition, but you really were doing podcasts before people, before the term was even invented. So, but you know what, that I'll tell you, Michael, that it was out of desperation. Yeah. And, and, and Tony Robbins talks about that. You motivated through inspiration or desperation. For me, it was desperation. I was miserable. I was, I, I struggled at my happiness every single day. And I was so desperate that I had to get some answers by, by learning from mentors. And then I just decided to start recording their answers. Oh, unbelievable. When, well, can't thank you enough for taking time for us today. You know, this, this show is called the Inspiration Accelerator for a reason. Ideally, folks leave after having listened, super inspired. I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but anytime I get to talk to you, even for five minutes or through text, I leave inspired. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you back at some point if you're up for it. I'd be honored. And Michael, you're, you're, you're a good man. And I, well, I have gotten to know you in the last year. And what I get back from you is humility and just a genuine, genuine, pure desire to, to make a difference. And that shines through so strong. So, <laughs> well, my smile is about a minute for folks listening at home or in the car. My smile is as wide as it can be. I am uh, super humbled and um, grateful that you said those things and, and uh, equally grateful that you came on the show. For everybody at the Inspiration Accelerator, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next week uh, with another brand new episode. And until then, thanks, Wynn, and th thanks, everybody, for checking us out. Take care, folks. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Please look out for a new episode with a new guest every week. This was the Inspiration Accelerator with Michael Sonberg.